0: Hey guys, today we are here with our Persons with Lived Experience podcast with inspiring stories for Unprecedented Times with Dixie and Zona.
1: Morally, I knew it wasn't right and I knew something was up and this is not normal. This is not what two people do when they're in love. Mm
2: -hmm. But
1: again, with a mixture of the drugs and the abuse and also the physical abuse and the sexual abuse too.
2: This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper.
0: I am Zona, and I am a writer, a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness. I work with Christian Influencer Inspired, a tiny house enthusiast, and a cereal foodie.
2: Our guest for today is Alina Donahue. Hi. <laughs> Hi. A little bit about her. In 2012, Alina fell victim to the dark world we know as human trafficking. And in 2018, she became the first individual in the state of Florida to have her criminal charges expunged due to being a victim of human trafficking. Alina co-created the Shelley Stayer Shelter's 18-month human trafficking residential program, She now resides in Southwest Florida with her loving husband and two daughters. She is a strong advocate for victims and survivors of human trafficking, and Alina's mission is to provide education and awareness to all because anyone can fall victim to this heinous crime. Welcome, Alina. Thank you so much for having me
0: well we would love to hear more about your story it sounds like there is a lot that happened between 2012 and
1: 2018 yes yes there was even though it felt like an eternity (laughs) but in retrospect looking back I'm just like oh my god so much happened in six years and time flew by yeah Mm -hmm. you know um but yeah, so, um, I guess we'll just get right, get right into it. So, um, yeah, so I'm a human trafficking survivor, now turned inspirational speaker. Um, so, so, which is very exciting. I never, you know, fathomed, uh, being where I am today in life. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, I feel blessed every day. That is very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so I was raised in a um, Catholic conservative home I never experienced any childhood trauma I had the perfect childhood My parents were married for I would I think it was 43 years um, mm-hmm. until my dad passed away but but um, yeah I mean I was just your normal everyday girl next door um, so how did I you know get? sucked into this world that we know as human trafficking so I was in college um, I mentioned before that I grew up in a conservative Catholic home for those mm-hmm. who didn't grow up in a conservative Catholic home um, it's very strict and mm-hmm. you don't have the freedom or the liberty to do certain things growing up because my parents main thing was you know protecting their daughters um, sure. it's me and my two sisters so, that's their main thing. They were like, well, we can all go to movies together instead of you with your friends, because who knows what can happen and whatnot. Um, So Mm -hmm. I completely get it. But at the same time, that I grew up very naive. um, Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what was out there, except, you know, what was at home and what, you know, I learned in school. And, you know, I had friends, um, but not that liberty that all of my friends have like going to the movies and the mall and things like that. I know my mom went everywhere with us. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was in college. I was 21 and um, I was a straight A student. I was in college. I was doing really, really good. And I remember I went out with my girlfriends one night and um, what's it called? I went out with my girlfriends one night after a long night of studying and I decided um, that I was going to, you know, go out with them, go dancing with them because I I'm like a nerd. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm like a nerd. So I was like, should I go out? I don't know. I, I really, I was studying for a test and I was like, Oh gosh. But then I was like, okay, like it's just a simple test. You're going to pass it. Just go out and you know, let loose a little bit because I was so focused on this test I had been studying all day long. Right. So, um, we went out and I met one of uh, like a mutual friend, Um, I met this guy and everyone knew who he was and he was like this cool guy. And I was like, who is this person? But everyone, Mm -hmm. all of my friends knew who he was and there was mutual friends. So I never felt like I was in any type of danger. If anything, Mm -hmm. I was curious to know who this guy was and why he was so cool. Um, so I met him, we hit it off and, um, within like two weeks we started dating he was awesome. But that's what a narcissist is. <laughs>
0: uh-huh, um, you course. know.
1: So he, he was great. He would text me every morning. He was so kind. I mean, he was just perfect. He literally was perfect. There was no red flags, nothing, at least none that I could see. None right. that I could see. Um, so yeah, we started dating after two weeks. And things were great. I was like, Oh, my God. At the same time, I felt cool because he was cool and I had never dated anyone with like tattoos or anything. He had like this bad boy vibe to him. And I, I, again, I was like this like cute little nerdy girl. Um, so yeah, so we hit it off and things were good. We started dating. I would, and then the only thing that about him, even though it was like perfect, he was perfect at the beginning. Um, he was really persuasive. Like he was really adamant about when he mentioned something like, wanting me to agree with him so Mm -hmm. he was really pushy um Mm -hmm. he was really really pushy and and but he would do it in a way that wasn't um alarming or anything like that um so yeah so then one day he was like we should move in together and mind you I was living with my parents there was no reason for me to move out especially Mm -hmm. while in college when I you know I could stay at home and study and not have to pay bills um, but he, you know, a month after dating, he was like, we should move in together. And I was like, whoa, um, I don't know how I <laughs> feel about that. You know, I don't think it's a good idea. And he's like, well, that's what boyfriend and girlfriends do. They move in together. And he was like really persuasive. He was adamant about wanting to move in together. So after like a day or two, I finally gave in and I said, okay, let's move in together. Mm-hmm. So, so we did. My parents thought I was nuts. Um, <laughs> of course. I was nuts, but I was like, in love and I was like oh my god no you guys are crazy I'm 21 I've got this and and yeah so we moved in together and things were really good well two weeks after moving in together he um present he saw this thing online um I can't say the name of the website but it's a website that no longer exists um so we saw this thing online he saw this thing online this job opportunity and he was like, Hey, I have this job opportunity that I just saw. And I think it would be great for you. And I said, what is it? Mind you, I already had a, a job at the mall, um, mm-hmm. which I loved, but mm-hmm. I, I had a part-time job already. I wasn't seeking employment. And he said, um, it's a modeling gig. And I said, well, <laughs> I don't want to be a model. I've never mm-hmm. wanted to be a model. So this has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that he became aggressive. And that's where the, the, role like not the roles, but that's where the script flipped. Um yep, it flipped. And he immediately became um really mad and upset that I wouldn't agree with him to be a model. Mm-hmm. And he started yelling and he's like, I've treated you like a queen. I've treated you with so much respect and you're going to say no to me. And that was the first time that I saw this side of him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I felt compelled to say yes because he was right. He had treated me so good. And again, this is the victim mentality. You know, mm-hmm. he had treated me so good. How could I say no to him? I mean, he's never asked me for anything. Um, but that's what narcissists do. Yeah. Um, so I agreed. I said, okay, well, I wanted him to calm down. So I said, okay, I'm going to give in. Um, you know, I'm going to do the modeling ad. And I and essentially, I gave in. And I said, okay, I'll go to this modeling ad. Just an interview. I'll make no promises. And, and he flipped the script. And he said, okay, that's perfect. He went from being aggressively mad to... He was calm and as if nothing would ha- happen and as if he wasn't yelling and, um, you know, being this horrible person. So he said, great, I'll drive you to this interview. The interview was a week later. Um, he he set it up. He set everything up um, and he did, as he said, he drove me to the interview. In a sense, you know, looking back at it, it was to make sure that I went to this interview and I couldn't get out of it. He was sure. in control of the situation. So we went to this interview to, you know, this uh, this place. And, um, I walk in alone. He waits for me in the parking lot. I walk in alone and I'm given instructions on my phone via text, um, on where to go and whatnot. So I, you know, I go straight to the interview location. Um, and I walk in and there's this guy that opens the door and he says, come on in. And I said, okay, I was extremely nervous and scared. Cause I didn't know what i was walking into and let's you know let's remind the audience that i had no desire of being a model Mm -hmm. Um, so i walk into this room and this guy he must have been like six two really big he looked like a biker and um, he told me to come on in um and he said the first thing he said was do you have your driver's license and i like let out a sigh of relief and i was like oh oh my god thank god it's a regular interview it's nothing sketchy i gave (laughs) him my driver's i gave him my driver's license And, um, he like writes something down on a notepad and he gives it back to me and he says, okay, um, if you're going to be a model, I have to see what you look like. Can you, um, uh, he pretty, he asked me to undress. So he said, can you take off your clothes? And I said, what? I said, (laughs) um, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And his tone of voice changed. And he said, listen, I've got a million girls that want this job. Do you want it or not? Are you going to get undressed or not? Like pressuring me and making me feel in a sense, really stupid. Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. And again, this guy looked like a hardcore biker. I was petrified, not to mention I'm five foot and he was six, two, Mm -hmm. probably even taller. So I did, as he said, I got down to my bra and underwear. He looked me up and down and he said, it's perfect. You're going to work. And I let out another sigh of relief. And I said, I'm getting the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. So as I start to grab my clothes from the floor, he said, uh, uh he said, now lay down. And I said, What? What do you mean, lay down? His, and he said, now lay down. And I'm trying to create conversation, trying to avoid him, you know, having this control and whatnot. Because when you think of situations like this, um, immediately in the movies, the girl gets scared and she starts screaming and whatnot. So I figured that if I started doing that, then I was more likely than not, you know, about to be a victim
0: mm-hmm. of right.
1: So I didn't do any of that. If anything, I tried to create conversation in hopes of creating a diversion, which did not work. But anyways, um, once he told me to do that, I the conversation I was creating it wasn't working out. And then he became aggressive again, and he said, "Just lay the f down and shut the f up." And I did that, and then he proceeded to rape me. When he, yeah, when he finished, he said, "You're gonna work." These are the days that you're going to work. I'll see you on this day. If you tell anyone or if you decide to go to the police, I have a copy of your driver's license. I know where you live and I will hurt you and your family. And again, I grew up in a conservative Catholic home. My family is everything to me, Mm -hmm. everything to me. So it instilled fear in me and it worked. I was petrified. I was scared, not to mention shocked about this traumatic event that just took place. I didn't mm-hmm. know how to digest it. I didn't know how to process it. I just know that I was shocked. I, I hadn't, nothing came out of my mouth. He left the, the, the room, the location, and I was left in this room by myself. I quickly put my clothes on and I just halted. I just, you know, ran out. And I went yeah. to the car where my boyfriend was. And the first thing my boyfriend says to me is, he said, how did it go? And I was quiet because I was still shocked.
0: Mm-hmm. And-
1: He was like, well, one of two things. If you had sex with him, then it's considered cheating. But if you had sex with him because it was part of your interview, um, then it's not considered cheating because it's part of your new job. So he was in on it the whole time.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, he was in on it. So I was shocked. And then from there, he said, you have to work. My boyfriend said, you have to work for him. And that's how it started. So the man that raped me, I worked for him for two weeks. There was some type of deal that I was unaware of between that guy and my boyfriend. And after two weeks, um, my boyfriend took over and became my main trafficker and he trafficked me throughout the state of Florida.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the generous donations of the supporters of bringfreedom.org through your support. Through our Venmo at Bring Freedom, we are able to support the persons with lived experience who are brave enough to share their stories here and avoid re-traumatization by them having to give away their story or their services for free. While still maintaining these types of trainings as well as the all-for-one challenge that we have coming up on November 18th and 19th at no cost to you in order to completely end human trafficking in your community. If you would like to be one of the supporters of bringfreedom.org, you can visit our website or you can make a tax-deductible donation to our Venmo at Bring Freedom. Thank you.
2: Freedom's live anti-trafficking inspiration event is coming up on November 18th and 19th. Sign up for the All for One challenge today. You don't want to miss this.
1: So I was trafficked for roughly eight months. It was horrific. Um, there was a lot of things that I was introduced to that I would have never wanted to be introduced to, including drugs. Um, Mm -hmm. I started doing drugs because it was just easier to get through the day. And also Mm -hmm. because my boyfriend was giving me drugs because if he didn't, there were days that I wasn't compliant. I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do. And I didn't want to see these men. So he would give me ecstasy or cocaine or whatever he needed to get me according to the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that lasted eight months. And then towards the eight, towards the end of the eight months, so I was trafficked every single day, um, mm-hmm. for those eight months. Towards the last, I would say two or three months, um, probably even more. It just depends on the situation. But I was given ultimatums by my boyfriend, and again, this whole time I'm thinking mm-hmm. he's my boyfriend. I don't see him as a trafficker. Right. Um, I just think that we're in a really unique messed up relationship, and that's just what it is because a narcissist, the amount of, I don't even know how to explain it, but the amount of things that they, in a sense, want you to believe and you start believing it because it's all you hear on a daily basis is insane. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I really thought that there was nothing wrong with what we were doing. Like morally, I knew it wasn't right. And I knew something was up and this is not normal. This is not what two people do when they're in love. Mm -hmm. But again, with a mixture of the drugs and The abuse and also the physical abuse and the sexual abuse too, because he, just because he was my boyfriend doesn't mean there wasn't any sexual abuse. I mean, there was, um, it was just insane. And my question, my answer to the people that say, well, why didn't she just get away? I'll give you an example. There was one time that I did try to get away and I didn't, I wasn't successful. And the repercussions of trying to get away were so bad that I never tried it again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there were days that I was given ultimatums by my boyfriend and he would say he would say, um, well, you can either work for me or you can go commit these petty crimes for me. And they were always, you know, irrelevant crimes like and when I say irrelevant, like irrelevant to the trafficking, Um, you you know, I credit card theft or fraud or ID or, um, you know. Stealing something at a store. some Like something so petty. That I really. It was a no brainer. And when you're in that survival mode. It's a no brainer to choose. To commit those crimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know. Instead of not knowing who's walking in through those doors. So after those eight months. Um, at the end of my eight months of being trafficked. Ultimately we were arrested. For those petty crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and never this was in 2013 no 2012 um not once did the and it's something that i work really hard um to collaborate with you know anyone in law enforcement but not once while i was arrested was i ever asked if i was okay or you know like why are you committing this these crimes or anything like a rapport was never created So I never told anyone about my trafficking experience. So Mm -hmm. I went to jail for a a year. I pled Mm -hmm. guilty for those, you know, for those crimes. And again, everyone's looking at me like this criminal who's just following the footsteps of her already criminal boyfriend. But no one ever bothered to ask me why I was committing those crimes. I mean, I came from a good home and, um, you know, not saying that, you know, that, that changes anything, but it was just out of character for me. Yeah. Right. You know? So at the end of those eight months, I completed my probation. I paid my debt to society and I stayed far away from my boyfriend trafficker, you know, Mm -hmm. who was my actual trafficker as I could. I tried to go back to being this sweet, innocent girl, but that's impossible.
2: And it's Mm -hmm. something that
1: I had to come to terms with because that sweet, innocent girl no longer existed that sweet innocent girl now has experience is doubtful is not trusting um Mm -hmm. and is wondering why all these things happened to her right you know so i'll tell you this this is how um you know and I, i respect everyone's religious beliefs but you know i'm a firm believer in divine intervention um but this is how it was discovered that i was trafficked i was um at this like convention and this organization was receiving an award and this organization happened to help you know victims of domestic violence and potential human trafficking Mm -hmm. and something within me said go talk to that lady mind you I had no idea who this lady was she was just Mm -hmm. accepting the award for the company um, or the organization I should say so at the end of the the event I went up to her and I said I don't know you you don't know me but I want to share with you what I went through. And she looked at me like I was a little crazy (laughs) and she said, okay, here's my business card. We exchanged business cards. And then a week later we met and um, I shared my story with her for the first time. I had never told anyone what I had been through. Hmm. And she looked at me shocked and she said, do you realize you are a survivor of human trafficking? And I looked at her and I said, lady, how can I be a survivor if I'm not a victim? Little did I know that she was the chief executive officer for the organization that helps victims of human trafficking and domestic violence. I had no idea who she was. So Mm -hmm. long story short, you know, the next five years after meeting her, I mean, she helped me tremendously and, you know, my life changed. She, you know, helped me become introduced to trauma therapy um, and TIR therapy, which helped me understand and process exactly what I went through because I, Didn't understand why I was having nightmares every night, Mm -hmm. the same nightmare for years. After successfully completing therapy, I was able to eliminate those nightmares and they went away and I was able to process what I went through and understand and know that that was not right. And that was not normal. And that I was groomed into being trafficked, um, unfortunately, by someone who I loved. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they saw the vulnerabilities, they saw the gullibleness and the naiveness, and they took advantage of that. Um, So with time after meeting, you know, my friend, the CEO of this organization, um, she said, hey, there's a statue for human trafficking victims in the state of Florida. And this statue says that if you can prove that you are a victim of human trafficking, any charges accumulated while trafficked could be expunged and eliminated. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, that's great. And she said, it's never been used. So I don't know how it can go. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's give it a try. I had zero expectations. To be honest, I went home and I was like, this is great, but I'm not even going to think about it because that's unheard of.
0: Right. Well,
1: with, you know, we, with months, we got an attorney and everything. Um, the months went by, I presented my case. I had everything. One thing about me is I have a photographic memory
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I was able to prove. My case, and also when I interviewed with the detectives, as I'm sharing my story and my, you know, my case with them, they're like, "Oh my God!" With my story, they were able to fill in missing, you know, all these missing things with other cases, and they were like, "You are the real deal. This is yeah. <laughs> ins- this is insane." Um, so on April seventeenth, uh, two thousand and eighteen, the same day that I went to court while in jail. And got convicted of those nine felonies. Um, so let's see, 13, 14, 15, 16, 8 Five years later, on the same day, I went to court and I was um, completely exonerated and those charges completely went away.
0: That's um, awesome. Yeah.
1: So it was uh, it was amazing and also really hard to believe. So at that point when, you know, I was able to in a sense, you know, make history and pave the way and for other survivors that want to use that statue. I said, okay, well, I, you know, I've got to do more. I've got to do better. I've got to be this poster child and be a great example for other survivors uh, Mm -hmm. that want to get away. So I was able to co-create a human trafficking residential program, 18 months long, no charge whatsoever for human trafficking victims. Um, We target uh, our main audience. Well, our main client for, the program is women over the age of 18 that have been sexually trafficked and in the state of florida it's like a huge need because Mm -hmm, there's so many organizations that focus on either children or certain age brackets um so we wanted to focus on offering a service to those that don't have many resources so in june 2020 in the middle of the pandemic we opened this residential shelter um, and it's still going strong. It's nationally recognized. It's a, a great program. And again, we don't charge a dime for those 18 months whatsoever. Um, amazing. It, it's it's just wonderful. We have such great support. But um from there, you know, I, I, I did my first speech and it was actually this year that I went public with my story because it was still like very private, like, you know, going to court and interacting with law enforcement and everything, everything's done like behind closed doors. So no one really knew my story. And then at the beginning of this year, February fourth, um, I presented my story for the first time in front of uh, roughly 800 people. And uh, it was amazing. <laughs> it really was. And when I shared my story, I wanted to share it in a way where it could be not only well received, but where people could get it. Um, because not everyone understands it. And even you could, you know, create awareness and educate, but not everyone's going to understand in depth or really grasp the topic. So when I shared my story, I portrayed like a video um, in the background, so that people could feel as if they were in this journey with me. And they got it, they did, they got it. So, you know, since then, I've been doing as many, you know, presentations and, um you know speaking engagements as i can because ultimately like i said as in my bio you know creating awareness and education is so important so that is my story
0: <laughs> wow that's, that's huge
1: huge <laughs>
0: that is huge thank you um yeah we're we're grateful that you are where you are now yes and um you have taken the time to get healing because i think a lot of us um, really do kind of go under the radar and we don't see it as trafficking and we don't see it as um, what it really is. Cause we just have never had that kind of language.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: So it definitely stays hidden. Um, and, and people are largely unaware, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Again, yes. while I was being trafficked, I was convinced from everything he would tell me on a daily basis, because it was repetitive. Like, you know, this is what people do when they're in love and you're helping me, helping us make money. So, I mean, the abuse was sexual. It was physical, but tremendous emotional abuse. So I yeah. really thought that what I was doing was helping our relationship. And it was just, uh, the brainwash, it was insane.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely understand that. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So was it a collaboration between you and a group of others that helped put together the 18 month residential program?
1: So the program itself had been discussed for a few years before me, before Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. came into the organization. Um, So it had been discussed for a few years, but I mean, they started campaigning for it. They knew what they wanted to present. They just didn't know how to go about creating an 18-month program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the logistics side of it, the operations side of it, you know, that was in the works way before me. Um, but before I actually sat down and started creating this program, I mean, between the COO and I, we did roughly two years of research. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, Before we even, you know, decided to, you know, grab a pen and paper because you have to do your due diligence. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you, you're starting this program to help survivors. So you have to create every single scenario, good or bad. Um, We had to do our due diligence before creating this program, because we truly didn't know how many survivors or potential victims were going to come to our program right away so uh, it took a lot of research we had to see the pros and cons we also wanted to see what other organizations were doing in a residential setting to see what worked what didn't work Um, so all of that a lot of hard work was put in before the program was created and even then even after the program was created there was a lot of trial and error um, Mm -hmm. because it's such a it, you know, it's such a, a vast population from 18 all the way, you know, all the way up, you're going to get a little bit of everything. You're going to get, you know, uh, survivors that have been in the game for a long time. And then you're going to get survivors that are new to this game and, mm-hmm. ha- you know, don't understand, or ca- can't even fathom what they went through.
0: Sure. Yeah. I definitely understand that. Um, well, I, I, just really wanted to thank you for being on the podcast today and we're so excited to hear the hope that is on the other side of it that absolutely um, (laughs) true free and and I think that's one of the pieces that you know sometimes when you're in it you think that'll never happen for me yep
1: absolutely absolutely and that's why you know first of all I get so excited when I meet other survivors. Cause I'm just like, we exist. Yeah. We yeah. are out there, you know, whether some of us want to remain private or not, we are out there. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just hope like, you know, like any other survivor, I just hope that my story gives someone the strength and courage and also the knowledge. And just in case they're currently going through that at that, at that time.
0: hmm Yeah. Well, how can people get connected with you and with your work? Um,
1: So anyone that wants to get connected with me, um, I am on LinkedIn, Alina Donahue. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, You can also go to my website, uh, alinadonahue.com. You can get connected uh, with me through there or via my LinkedIn. My contact information is on there. Um, And I would just love to meet anyone That you know has a passion for human trafficking or wants to do some kind of change or just really wants to learn more about the the topic or the subject. Um, I'm all about networking, so I would love the opportunity to meet anyone that's just interested in discussing human trafficking.
2: Awesome, wonderful! Yeah, well, thank you very much. I'll be clicking up with you on LinkedIn.
1: (laughs) I love it, I love it.
2: Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience, please rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast.